0: In this 171st episode, recorded November 2019, entitled, If You Need To Recover, Also Recover Your Brownie Point Bank Account and Kick Back. So we have questions on. What have we got questions on?
1: I think there's some carbs, sodium, beta fuel, pre-event breakfast, sleep, carbs, bad, question mark, 80kg, question of strength, and some other letters and numbers that you've (laughs) written down that make no sense to me and one more and one more welcome Welcome to our Monty Sport podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, MTBers and fitness enthusiasts now in its
0: 14th year of publishing Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. We are supported by Nopin, suppliers of club, custom and aero cycling apparel. Watch nopins.com. Also supported by South Racing for all your biking needs, whether mountain bike, gravel, TT, cyclocross, e-bike... You name it, visit southforkracing.co.uk. And finally, Fourth Edge, blood profiling to test, track, and optimise your diet, training, and recovery. I'm Coach Joe Beer, and I'm once again joined by Martin Crocker. And we're both here at South Fork, Devon, UK. The universe, the world. Big welcome to this 171st episode. Blimey. Uh, seems hardly any time since last uh, last time we did the podcast, but actually I think it was about a month. So we are now on iTunes, you can see us on podbean, podcasts.com, player.fm, podtail, chartable.com, luminarypodcast.com. <laughs> None of these are real websites. Are. What are you doing? And more. Ooh. And more. So we were gonna do a little bit of preamble like we normally do. Yep. So half marathon world record. Take this on board, 5801. We're not far off a 57 minute half marathon. How staggering is that? Cause that's, I bet people, cause we're going to sub two in a minute. I bet people haven't even registered that the world half marathon record is dropped. By? I can't remember how many seconds it was, but. By whom? Oh, I can't remember I, I was writing everything down And I completely um, Completely forgot I think If I'm right I think The runner Did end up being One of the Lead Pacemakers For the sub two For the sub two And of course The sub two has happened Which is A remarkable event Okay There can be all the sceptics And the The people that want to You know Try and find fault with it But as a use of science and of taking running up a level, I think it absolutely did what for decades runners have been they've been so like not not at the elite level, because they do look, as we would call it, for the marginal gains, but to actually pull it all together and to have the you know the funding through INEOS but have people like Sir Dave Balesford part of the team that are just integrating every possible thing they can to improve performance, which is what has been done in cycling. It was done in rugby way back when uh, Sir Clive Woodward did it and pulled it together. Again, business mind goes into sport, says we need to do this, this, and this. But the sub two was was quite, for me, it was quite an emotional thing to watch because it was quite amazing to see him running down that last part. Absolutely. It, it looked like he could have run another sub two. He was just bouncing off the floor.
1: I, I, the, thing, the thing sometimes that I don't, I don't agree with these people going. Wow, well, look, look at it though. He had pacemakers, and there was a car in front, and he's got these magic shoes. Well, if you put the shoes on the on <clears throat> on the running track, they don't run on their own, do they? I don't so think you so. know so someone's got to so. be in them to you know he's got to be there to finish it yeah. um you know yes all right it, it's in the perfect conditions on the perfect day with the perfect um you know formation and with his runners etc cetera, etc cetera. but uh, overall as far as a spectacle goes as well you know you you can't have an entertaining sub two hour marathon really like that when there's nothing to compete against i kind of get it but you know the the use of runners you know so um you know different kind of celebrity runners there i suppose you know the 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 cream of the crop helping out as well into the formation so like you said for how many of us have watched Athletics. How many of, of us have watched these events and gone, God? Wouldn't it be amazing in my lifetime to see to see, it. To yeah. see you know a sub two hour marathon, you know a sub you know fifty eight fifty
0: nine um, half marathon. So, yeah. and the thing is, I think if, if people actually look at the stats, he was two minutes quicker than the world record at Berlin. Okay. If you do, and I hope I got my math right, if you do 120 seconds and divide it by 26.2, it's only four and a half seconds per mile. So for people to think that he gained so much more of an advantage over what he'd already done. No, at Berlin, in a race, in a ratified world record, he's done 201, is it 201.39, I think. So they were literally smack bang, two minutes apart, okay? That's only four and a half seconds a mile. So we're not on about him gaining, you know, 15 seconds a mile through all these things. He gained the small bits that made the difference, but he's already very, very close to that barrier. If he was somebody doing a 205 and went under the two-hour mark, people are like, wow, that guy's running over five minutes quicker. That really starts to make us wonder, is it just all about the technology? Sorry in the background for uh, reality going flying by us. Uh, So I I think it showed that what you could do when you pulled it all together. And yes, the runners in front of him were more significant than the lead car. And people have done aerodynamic studies and looked at it. And it was, I think the lead runners were giving him the equivalent of something like 25 watts Reduction in drag. What I thought was great was firstly it wasn't the shape people would have thought They ran in kind of an opposite shape V. So they ran with a V ahead of him. Okay Um, Not with the point of the V just in front of him But the point of the V pointing back towards him. But also there was two runners behind him to stop the air like you would if you were riding a two-up If somebody's on your rear wheel they reduce your drag because the air doesn't come in behind you it comes in behind them and it's the same with those two runners behind him they actually kept the air from tucking in and hitting him so those two runners behind were again an aerodynamic advantage and it's all small but go back watch the 1950s sub four minute mile by uh, Roger Bannister here pacemakers You read into his autobiography, he had special shoes. It was a carefully concocted record. It wasn't just a fluke, oh, chaps, let's have a go at the record. It was very, very concocted. He may well have been doing... Sodium bicarbonate loading when you look at what he was studying as part of his um, part of his studies and part of him being a doctor So, you know, they weren't doing it as amateur as people would imagine and they were doing specific intervals They were working on the the you know The kind of pacing they needed to work on the sub 2 was just that thing that people didn't think was going to be possible But when we'd seen runners, you know, we saw I can't think how quickly Gabby Selassie got down to, but I think he'd done a two o two. I'm sure it's two o two. In the same two o two. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, we've had people two o two. We've just seen. Uh, was it Bakili? Also did within two seconds of Kipchoge's world record. Did two o one forty one. Two o one forty. There, about. So again, two runners now that are getting into the 2.01s. But didn't didn't the ladies' marathon world? Yeah, world that's marathon, just been. It? That's again gone. Uh, gone down to. She's taken 80 seconds off of Paula Radcliffe's again. I, I haven't noted all the names down and then I looked at yesterday um, Separate to this but yeah the world um, World record for the women was one hour 14, but it was almost a one hour 13 again. It almost went to one hour 13, but um, Filippo Ghana, you know track world champs set a 402 That's right. 4k pursuit, but didn't he beat it <clears> twice in one day? Yes. Can he go yeah, out he, beat the the he beat yeah. the Americans. He beat the Americans the American record twice in twice in a day. So there's all these there's all these records happening, but there's 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 you know critical points. Okay, people aren't really going to see the significance in the grand scheme of the things the first time uh, a male rider goes under um, four uh, minutes for for four k. That used to be seen as pretty. Difficult for the four-man team, yet yeah, alone the single this is on rider. Bike, by the way, yeah. But they, you know, with uh, Filippo Gana uh, his uh, his speed, he actually just about, I think, 500 meters of the finish was hitting 67 kilometers an hour. He actually accelerated up, hit that peak, and then slightly descended over the last part. But these records are constantly being nudged and moving forwards. And the thing about the sub two was that it was just such a it was such a sort of brazen attempt to say, we're just gonna do all of this and see what we can do. But now people have gone, oh, right, okay. So this is, this is starting to become you know, uh, a way in which other people can think about how do they approach their records and how do they get all of their technology together? Because some sports have taken an awful long time to, to, to move forwards. And knowing people in, um, I know people connected indirectly through that record I know people that know people and you know they're they're doing lots of things to improve the immediate thing that people think about is oh they must be they must be doping, they must be doing this, they must be doing that. Actually, in a lot of cases, they're just doing stuff which some of the amateurs listening to this may already be knowledgeable on certain supplements, on certain things, but it's pulling it all together and taking an elite athlete and saying, we can get the next one, two, three percent percent better. Because that isn't much, no. but it's enough to make the difference. But then you look
1: at what Bannister was doing to the recent sub 2, fundamentally, they were working on the same things. So they had pacemakers yeah. trying to run at an optimal pace, Pace with pacemakers, also specific sports equipment like shoes, etc. Right. So it hasn't moved on a massive
0: amount when it comes to running. But it's simple because yeah. it's so simple. You have you have to look at the you know you have to look at the the ways in which um, well the th- simple stuff are, are done
1: properly. Yeah, 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 Fill the gaps, isn't yeah. it? Yeah.
0: and there's a big there's a bigger amount of people now that are being drawn into you know the certainly for a lot of the African runners, it's a way for them to get. Uh, good sponsorship and get into good running groups and they can start to elevate. So we're going to see we're going to see a lot of this momentum now coming forwards because we're going to see lots of people seeing that firstly he's done something that okay he, you know he's the first one to do it nobody else you know, who remembers the second who, who who broke Roger Ballester's record and he did it within six weeks nobody can remember. <clears throat> I can't off the top of my head I think it was Landy I think it was New Zealand I think it was Landy but anyway People don't remember the second person to break a record. Okay? The thing with the sub two is it just showed what you can do with a lot of thought and a lot of experts. And yes, it, it was a stage managed thing. But what did people think? Somebody was just going to get up one day and go, oh, I'm going to just run 13 miles an hour for two hours. I mean, it's staggering. <laughs> cra- it's crazy. 450. Yeah. It's just, sorry, uh, two, uh, 250 a, a kilometre. I mean, it's staggering.
1: And the consistency was frightening as well, wasn't it? Yeah. It was bang on, bang on, bang on. Then it was a couple of seconds quicker. Then it was bang on, bang on, bang on. And and
0: there was a point where, and if people watched it, I don't know whether it went through their mind, but they were running in the the perfect shape. And Kipchoge moved to the side, because he had, like, his captain that was the person on the point of the V... And he moved to the side of him and was almost trying to take him. He was almost trying to go past him. And it's like, he's actually wanted to go faster. And the way in which he finished, when they all pulled apart... I mean, that was a lovely moment. It gives me goosebumps, seriously. It gives me goosebumps when you saw them all pull apart. And he just ran down the finish like he was was doing the 800 metres. But he was very fresh. There was no way that was the physical... When you saw Bannister at the finish, he was spent. He was slung over somebody's shoulder. He was spent. Kachoki bounced over to the to the, to his coach. He ran around. He ran back down the finish line. He was not spent doing uh, what was it? One fifty nine forty two. One fifty nine forty two. No, or was it one fifty nine forty point two? Something. Like it was. That. It was there or thereabouts. Um, but it was not that he was spent and it looked like at that point in the race when he started to move out of, the, um, out of the echelon that he was actually trying to get him to go a bit quicker and I wonder whether they even had a strategy if he did want to go quicker to go quicker, yeah to, but, but they hadn't sort of no, this is the pace you go we don't want to do it any more than you need to if they did it all over again and they said he wants to break 159 I don't think people would be that enthused because we've kind of seen it and we saw it all come together most people missed the Monza one I, I watched the Monza one as well yeah. and, and that was interesting but because you know, he missed it. wasn't quite okay. But they went away. the The lines on the floor were better. The pacemakers were better. The shapes were better. Everything was taken that little bit better. In the meanwhile, he'd run that new world record of two hundred one thirty nine. Two hundred one thirty nine. Yeah, off the top of my head, that's right. But he's getting very close anyway. So at some point, somebody's going to do it in a race. Yeah. Whether, whether more likely, I guess, would be would be likely to be Berlin. That seems to be where. Uh, well, That's where Bikini did off. it. But, you know, if you've got two guys now, both running 2.01, 40, and you've got two of them doing that, okay, they've still got to push one another 100 seconds faster. So they've got to start off five seconds quicker per mile and keep it going. And I'm sure none of them, when they ran Berlin, said, I'm going to take it easy. But are they at the limit? Is it to the point where you are going to get people properly racing one another?
1: We can't, we, we can't be that far off, can we? No. Well, we're not, we're not that far off at all. But yeah, and it was an interesting exercise, interesting exercise to see all those perfect... The perfect storm as it would be, all coming together and doing and it. But, again, like I said, the, the, the shoes don't run themselves. No. Nope. You know, it all had to come together. It had to be orchestrated well. And, you know, it only took for one of those guys to trip over. You know, imagine them falling over in the first oh, first mile. Wow. And then it all goes to, you know, it all goes to pot, really. But, yeah. But I suppose, sure. unlike,
0: a, unlike a run, they could, they could have always gone, right, we're going to do it again. Um, slightly different, but... Um, Hey, why not? Why don't we look at our ratings? We've got 83 ratings. So thank you for that. Thank you for the reviews, the ratings. Keep them coming, particularly keep the questions coming, which we're going to go on to at the moment. But first, there's a bit of uh, bit of feedback, actually. It said, hi, Joe. Just completed my 50th part run, uh, but my first ever smart run. Not my fastest, but probably my most enjoyable. Um, started listening to you guys uh, podcast after it was recommended by one of uh, my doctors no my athletes mm. and also uh, this lady's guide because uh, Andrew, who sent this email in is a visually impaired athlete um, so her guide is Kath Finn and I like coach Kath Finn and she said um, I've been reading the 80-20 training and it's making uh, more sense after listening to you uh, thank you very much uh, so much to learn but having fun doing it Andrea Logan so that was nice feedback to get just, you know, somebody listening to us And putting into effect what we're trying to say And, uh, enjoying the process And so, hope
1: you're you well, Kath
0: Yeah, Kath the, the great season yeah, as well yeah, yeah. And, uh, and has been Yeah, I'll say it She's been giving back Because there's a lot of athletes that don't give a lot back It's all about me, 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 me But she's done a lot of work, uh With, uh, visually impaired, uh, athletes And, uh, is going to, uh do the camp in Lanzarote and is going oh, to good. come to uh, the what is it, thirty-first through to the sixth, and then it's got a camp afterwards with visually impaired athletes oh, wow, there as well. Um, so that's two weeks of nice sunshine. Hopefully, fingers so, crossed. Another one. Hi, Joe and Martin, and I didn't put the Martin in. Somebody actually did write it. Okay? Oh, thank you. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I'm now forty-nine, and looking forward to a new class next year, obviously yeah, a new category. After a good winter I set a PB Park Run in April of 2104 and was looking forward to some fast races in the summer. I pulled my hamstring in June on a steady 10K run so that stopped me running for a while. So more cycling and swimming it was, I took your advice about staying in a higher gear on the bike to build leg strength and the last few weeks I've been setting Strava PRs every time I go out on the bike. I also managed a PB in the pool at a triathlon in September. Great bike leg, then my run was three minutes slower than last year before. Uh, uh, I'm glad I could do something to keep my fitness up. I also received my gold award for a hundred blood donations from the Scottish blood donors this week. I'm still able to donate, but not as often from advice from UK anti-doping and this is the chat that we spoke yes. about quite a few months ago people might remember and the there was about the platelet that's donation right. and yeah, stuff yeah. and he says uh, feel free to to use this on the uh, podcast regards Richard so he was giving us some uh, some kind of like updates on how Feedback, he was doing brilliant. but yeah 100 blood donations wow. that's that's really good that's again that's something you know giving uh, giving back, and in the off-season, I know some people are very uh, tetchy about doing it in-season, it's a perfect time to give blood, because it's not going to have a big effect on your training, it's a good habit to get into, and once you get into it, I think you realise it doesn't have that much of an effect, it's just maybe a week, maybe 10 days of being slightly below par, but only below par if you're trying to push things, if you're not really training that hard, you just notice, you know, couple of slightly off days and then you just your body adapts
1: and the good thing about richard there being <clears> injured <throat> you know he he took the uh, took the advice to to stay away from uh, from doing a bit of running and th- and then heeded the warnings and then went and did a little part of uh, a different sport or a couple bits of different uh, yeah. uh, uh, all rolled into one and then i think sometimes what happens is you almost rediscover maybe a love for a certain aspect of of a sport that you've haven't done for a while i mean i I've, I've gone back to to running but like richard said you know it's it's something that you sometimes you stop have to be forced to do to then go back and do something else but you know to also um you know do the donations as well is is fantastic so yeah yeah, 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 yeah so giving
0: back giving back giving back thank you richard and this is advert time oh good lord so TriCamp, again, as I just said earlier, which is an accident I brought it up, but Club of Santa, January 31st of February the 6th, 2020. Booking now, I think we're almost full, but I don't deal with the logistics, so I'm just gonna say that. Uh, fly in on Thursday, 31st of January, fly home on Thursday, 7th of February. We've got Dan Bullock of Swim for Try that does the uh, swim component, it's the full Club of Santa support team, which is just, just brilliant. Anyone that's been there, when they've been on their own, they get to see quite a lot of it. But when you've got the complex behind you and the logistics helping you, it just is amazing. You, uh, most people feel like they were pro for a week because just everything's laid out. The, the sessions are ready. You've not got to deal with, uh, can you get in a lane? Is somebody going to let you? We've got six to eight lanes booked. Got support car and long ride, etc. 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 So, final day there's a private 400 meter swim, 14k bike, 4k run with, uh, with chip timing, individual splits, and just good in February to get a triathlon under, you, under your belt. So, yes, that's at clublasanta.co.uk. If you're interested, go there for details. You can always email and uh, ask about the, uh, the camp but hope to uh, see some new faces there for 2020. Hey, let's be quickly doing the doping thing. Shall we? Got to do it. Got to do it. Gotta there was do something it. on try two, four, seven. No, you, you, as in, we've got to address it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. We've got to address it. Uh, try two, four, seven. It was on about, uh, Kona age groupers. Uh, some of the, some of the dopes that doped. Um, and there was, you know, there was, there was people, you know, 45, 49, you know, multiple anabolic steroids. Um, some people, multiple anabolic steroids, EPO, Sierra and others. And you think, good God. You're 45, 49, and you're jacking up like a ex-1980s, you know, pro. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, no, these were, caught, these were caught and, you know, given, uh, hopefully, as much of a kick out of the sport as is possible. And some people get really, really sort of angry, and they go to town on, uh, on, on Facebook and stuff. Um, hopefully the fact that these people are now visibly like shunned is a good way that's the best way that people kind of go oh such and such is back in the sport and actually most people would i think agree that actually you probably want to boot them out and you know give give the the full um, brunt of the ability to say we don't really want you in the sport i can sometimes see the point why professionals dope and you have to hear me out on this before you think i'm saying it's right they're doing it as part of their job their you know their livelihood their whole personality and to some degree the same as you know some people listen to this podcast sat in the outside lane doing 95 mile an hour saying oh i've got to get to my work on time it's their job but when they're age groupers. And they are, you know, this is not their job. Why the hell are they on multiple anabolic steroids or on EPO and stuff like that? That really, to me, is, I mean, there's probably more of a of a psychologist's um, slant on it. What the hell are they doing? Plus, they don't need to do it. This is not their job. And I'm not justifying that is a reason why people should say, oh, it's okay for pros. What I'm saying is these people, you know, what they do for their, for their job, what they do for uh, the world hopefully is more constructive than doing triathlon um 24/7 and taking drugs to get to the top of their particular age group because it's not really what what sport is all about it's a finding your limits but if your limits aren't quite as quick as somebody else's hey deal with it you know what deal I'd, with it i had an interesting conversation
1: and this this was this was um with a with an age grouper as well and and maybe maybe the brands and and us as us as in i suppose me as as kind of shop owners looking for ambassadors maybe maybe that kind of sponsorship gives these people the pressure that they feel they're under to perform you know yeah. you would expect that without again without being rude but the age group between 45 and 49 you would expect that they are old enough to be able to a cope with the pressure and b know what their limits are because yeah. let's be brutally honest if you're taking anabolic steroids epo and sera epo and sera aren't cheap and they're not epo is but sera not readily available is it so i would not know let's be <laughs> let's be brutally honest yeah yeah that's so, been taken under a guise of something oh else, yeah, 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 yeah 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 you know yeah. and and even if they've been taking masking agents as well the pressure now to perform even as an age grouper is massive if you have these relationships that you have with sponsors these relationships that you have with people chucking free kit at you yeah it's beautiful it's only you know what some of us could dream of Mm. but there is a there is a fine line to walk i feel with that and and us as sponsors have have a responsibility to these people as well exactly but you know, you decide to cross that line. That's entirely up to you. You set to lose everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. There you know, should, yeah. There should be. There should be more um, ambassadorships, more sponsorships. Even somebody that thinks that they're supporting. Oh, oh, they're a they're a Kona athlete, or or oh, they're a you know they were they were top UCI Grand Fonda rider, whatever. There should be this in the event of. You know, in the event of any positive such and such, you will pay back X, Y, and Z. Because at the moment, these people, who knows? There are people that are reappearing in time trialing that you know three, four, five, six years ago were, were banned, and some people are like, Oh, they're back. Now, because that's all that can be done legally against them, they just serve their time, come back. Everyone's gonna question what they do because they've been caught. Are they gonna do it again? Possibly, but who knows? They're going to be under the radar because they are an ex-doper But it's more a case of they've got so much to gain if they get away with it and therefore there should be greater uh, Almost levels of um, Financial sort of kickback because if they've got let's say potentially somebody else's space that they've taken in uh, a race because they've taken the slot and somebody else hasn't, and they potentially like you say, go to local sponsors, get money, get equipment um even even to the extent of of get local uh press coverage et etc et cetera. there should be a real sense of you know what there's a lot to lose. And therefore, I can't possibly dope because at the moment, you could be very cynical and say, "Oh, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Everyone's doing it." Well, no, because I know plenty of people that have uh, have gone to Kona, have been okay in Kona. No, they haven't necessarily won their age group, but they might just win their age group because they're very talented. In this case, they were you know, obviously taking stuff and got caught, cool, but it's not to tar everybody with the same brush that says, oh, if they're good, they must be doping. But how many are getting away with it? And unless there's a higher level of testing, which almost comes back to the athletes have to pay a little bit more to make sure there's more testing, at which point you're then clearer that people are being tested, but also the ramifications of somebody being caught have to go deeper so that somebody will go... This really isn't worth it. What if, you know, what if they did win their age group? Well now, everything that they've done, people are gonna look at them and go, yeah, but everything you did was a big cheat, was there a big go. lie, well, and, it's tough, and, isn't it? and therefore when they publish names, which I'm not even gonna, you know, I'm not gonna, uh, uh, firstly, A, uh, attempt to pronounce se- to pronounce properly, but secondly, why pick out these particular three? I haven't got all of the, Age group people across all Iron Man events, etc., etc. I'll leave that for people to look online. And I'm sure eventually there's you know somebody's gonna come out with you know a website or way of identifying people because the ones that do it fairly that may never get to be on a podium or whatever, I think they look at the cheats and they just shake their head and get you know either angry or get, get very, very sad that these people are doing it, and to some degree other people are losing out but also with this then uh, all right I, us us as
1: people that participate in sport whether it be Ironman, man cycling running swimming um you know you had vinikorov yeah dukona yeah and i want to say Laurent Jalibert, i can't remember is it Jalibert? i think it was um you know and is that a kind of image that the sport needs because i'm pretty sure lance armstrong got told that he couldn't do either the I'm pretty sure, was it Kony that he went to do and told him that he, c- he couldn't do it? I might have got that wrong. But there, there, there was a major event where people kicked up a bit of a stink, a bit of a fuss, and said, no, yeah. no, 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 you know, we don't want that kind of image well, to in our sport. Yeah. You know, us uh, us as, as sports, you know, what do, do you all get together and go, no, this isn't right, we don't want them in the sport, mm. you, know, they've, they, you know, it's not the image that that we want to portray uh, and to get together to say, no, this isn't right, you know, maybe maybe that's up for us. And the the flip side to that, the guys and girls that get caught, you know, pretty much, and I know people turn around and go, that's just tough, you know, they're just picked up, dropped from a great height, kicked out and then nothing, you know, there's no help for them at all. Yeah, 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 there should be there should be maybe like you said, maybe an ambassador kind of role that they could have that they want to show or they have to do for their four years ban and turn around and say, look, I need to help the sport out with this. This is how I did it. This is why I did it, Um, you know, and and. I want to learn from this and I want other people to feel as though they can learn and and help them out.
0: Yeah, there shouldn't be a precipice where you just kick them off the end because that's like, no, you're missing the point that they they potentially hold and I'm sure sometimes people do give information and they do... End up helping anti-doping. Anti-doping is a lot more now about surveillance and, and information. It's not randomly they just happened. That's what people think. Oh, they just happened to get these three. So how many others must be doing it? No, they are generally working on information and know um, that when they get people, they're going to get it right mm. because they've got limited uh, funds with which to, uh, to, to to test people. And if people really want a clean sport, well then your entry fee is going to have to go up. Not to give to the to the race. Uh, Director but to give to the anti-doping authorities to actually be able to test a lot lot more people and then catch even more people But also put a greater deterrent to say there's a good chance you're going to get caught at the moment People must be making a you know an assumed guess. They're not going to get caught But there is definitely a a case to see that as as there's worth um, there's worth in going towards certain sports to, to find people After a while, you start realising they've worked out the sports and the people and the likely candidates. Therefore, they will get an even higher percentage of hit rates. They don't really want to test somebody that randomly might have taken, you know, um, a a, a dodgy steak or a drink that had some, some particular ingredient in that, you know, fails antidoping. They want to get the out and out Dopers. They want to get people that are not accidental. Which you should take care of the supplements you have, etc. But they're getting the out and out. No, if you're taking yeah, multiple one product steroids, EPO, and sera, that wasn't an accidental purchase. A Hollander barrel. I was going to say. You yeah, know, that I think
1: wasn't... that was contamination. <laughs> I
0: think you're lying. Yes, I think you're lying. Yeah. And therefore, like you say, there needs to be a certain amount of of utilising those people to say, look, you know. Um, we don't want cheats, but we do want to work out why you cheat. We, need, we do want to work out how to, you know, not reform people, but to find out how to, how to better educate other people. And you have to put some people literally on the, on the, uh, ouch, uh, sorry, just slaved my foot then. Uh, you, do not, you have to get some people to almost be like, maybe not ambassadors, but look, these are the people This is what happened to them. I'm sure there's a massive come down for them. There may may well need to be. Especially
1: off of anabolic steroids, (laughs) EPO, and (laughs) serum.
0: <laughs> but what I mean is there's, you know, there's the psychological of, you know, are, are you going to catch people and then, you know, find out a few months later they, they've started, you know, seriously self-harming or worse because it's such a big comeback. Exactly. And does somebody want to say, oh, yeah, we caught them and then, they, and then they committed suicide. Oh, that's good. No, it's not. We want to actually educate people to say this is not worth it and this is not the sport that you're doing. You're doing it because for some reason the psychology and the need to win has out just Totally gone out of context, and it's now starting to rule you because you don't. Yeah, that's not somebody taking you know taking a a dodgy you know can of uh, of of energy drink and it's got something in it it shouldn't have. This is somebody outwardly on a doping program to get good, which is not what the sport is about.
1: And also, the the, again, you go take take their ages out. One maybe maybe don't take the ages out, but when. These particular people started the sport The reason why they enjoyed it so much is A. They were relatively good at it B. was probably the people around them That they did it with The guys that they trained with The girls and guys that they You know, that they raced with That made that atmosphere That made them enjoy that sport A lot of us that do take part in sport we are you know we're we're few and far between now um probably more than we we ever have been but we have this little niche thing where you know we do care about what we do and we care about the other people that do it Hmm. so you know with society the way it is now you know no one gives a monkeys pretty much so it's only us that are in sport that seem to seem to want to help each other out so, you know, why drop kicking these people as soon as they've been caught? Yes, you know, you've got to throw a sizable book at them, but at least help let them help, you know, the organisers or other athletes understand why they did it. Yeah. And maybe us as sponsors or us as well, us as in, you know, Joe as a coach or, you know, me as a, you know, a potential um, sponsor for, for, for someone wanting to do it. You know, the, the pressure there helps us the information helps us on why why they decided to do it you know could help everybody in the sport Mm. and like i said we 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 care less and less about what other people are doing and why they're doing it in society in general so at sport being that that level now that level playing field of us as a little group a band of kind of girls and guys that that go out every weekend and do it or train you know, in our spare time to do it. You know, we've got to look after each other as well. So, yeah. it's it, it's tough. It is tough, and I understand. You know, there's probably more anger out there at at particular people like this. Um And I, it's totally understandable. You know, these guys might have got A free entry because their sponsor paid for it. And you said might have used up a space with someone that's you know was absolutely bursting to go. Yeah. And you know, now it's just been rubbed into their
0: yeah. Into and their I don't. Losers, I don't. So I don't think it's the tip of an enormous iceberg there obviously are some people and hopefully catching people puts other people off i don't think it's the reason why somebody coming 20th in their age group says oh i was denied a podium it's like nah you're probably not close enough and many athletes are good already let's face it we've said it about running shoes we've said it about you know you can say it about doping you can say it about bikes you can say it about everything there's lots of legal ways to improve and there's ways to illegally Uh, improve but none of them are the difference it's that everything actually is a you know is, is probably you know many many years of dedicated training but it's ironic that some of the people that get caught for some of these things actually probably did so much of their work clean got to a point where they felt the pressure and then crossed that very important line they've gone from the light side to the dark side and they don't jump back again and say oh that was a bit of a slip They become engrossed in that new you know, particularly these you know, ages from 45 to 54, You know, if they've had low testosterone or even they wanna boost their testosterone further, they're gonna notice the difference and therefore they're gonna get an edge on somebody else. But for, for people to perceive that everybody that wins, no, there are some very talented athletes and sport finds out the people with talent. Sport doesn't find out the people that are willing to dope. That's a much misled way of looking at it. Oh, the best people must always be doping. No, there are some people that do. There are some people ironically that are way back that are taking things they shouldn't be doing because they think it's gonna make the difference. And the difference is that we're already unequal when we start. There are some people that have just got the minerals and they're gonna beat somebody whether they train half the amount of time. You know, I've got some people, they train half the amount of other people but they'll still beat them hands down. And it doesn't matter if you, you know, you could probably take them down to four hours a week and put the other person on, on 16 hours a week. They are not, A is not gonna beat B because of the genetic difference. And I think sometimes people think some of these things make a huge difference. They make a difference, but we've gotta be clear on, on you know why are we individually doing what we do? If somebody else is doing wrong, well, that's them doing wrong. It doesn't lead us to say, well, it's okay for us to do it. It's still wrong and also if you do as best as you can whether it's you, you know complete your time trial in you know in a, in a record time you Qualify for something you you know win a podium on a cyclocross or you get to do Something and go abroad because somebody will give you money to do it. Whatever it is. It's your own reward because it's your own work and I wonder about these people when they come crashing down. All of what they've done is not only questioned, but it's like unlikely to be built back up again because they've, they've, they've found out that the difference being on the dark side is they do get a bit of a benefit. They can't come back again and say, oh, I'm willing to do it differently this time around. Anyway. For the short bit that we were gonna do on that. Yeah. <laughs> you can fast forward that bit. So first question. This is from Ian Hutchinson. Uh, it came through on the Instagram feed. On the Instagram. <laughs> it was about sodium intake, and he says with a lot of products having additional ingredients, etc., uh, sometimes with 130 milligrams of sodium, is a recommended hourly dose? Like carbohydrate, for example, as a guide of, say, 60 grams per hour, what's the guide? In terms of sodium, uh, as if using an electrolyte drink, and, and what effects will excess sodium have? So, I think firstly there are big differences in people's sodium losses. So there are some people where you see that their their kit in a hot day, you know, particularly black bike shorts could be a uh, a running top. They get this white salty deposit which isn't because they've been let's say in open water they swim in a triathlon the kit gets gets uh, salt on it this is people that start with normal kit and it's very very uh, colored white some people never get that so there are differences in sodium intake and there are differences because some people need slightly less sodium and some people need a lot more and the, I guess the, the way to look at it is often people look at salt and categorically see it as a four letter word. It's bad, you know, cut it out, get rid of it. And meanwhile, they're saying, crikey, I really, really like, you know, really like you know, salty crisps, or I really, really, really like putting, putting salt on my, on my, on my food. Is, is that okay? And it's like, well, look, if you're listening to your body and you get particularly these white deposits and you know that Maybe you get cramp. Some people lose a lot of salt and never get cramp. Their body does well. Other people, they get cramp not because of salt. They get cramp because they they push too hard in certain components of their event. And they start to get cramp because the nervous system is actually not working properly. So there is no absolute guide because you'd be wrong as much as you were right. And I think it's interesting for people to at least think about Right, okay, yeah, sodium. I'm not only thinking about how much carbs I'm taking in. Do I need initial sodium? Some people that I coach, they definitely take sodium in in long events and it helps them. Other people, they have no issue with sodium. They don't get excessive cramps. They don't have issues with uh, uh, bloating or with lacking uh, uptake of fuel. And they don't even know how much salt they take but they're okay on products. And I think you've almost got to like, you know, if there's no problem, don't necessarily go looking for one. But if you do start to notice that with a bit more salt put into your diet, maybe even during training, you have a slightly higher sodium product. uh, There are various, you know, higher sodium products that are out there, or you notice that you train and you really, really like have a a lust for for salt, you really do, you know, need some salt normally after long events long events a fancy yeah. Yeah. like s- either salt and vinegar
1: crisps or something like that or the, the rice cakes that come with uh, salt oh and the vinegar salt vinegar and oil. vinegar yeah, rice yeah, cakes yeah.
0: yeah and a pork pie. But, but, <laughs> but then you're listening to your body you know you're going oh I could really do with salt and there are people and these are the ones that most have to sort of heed the advice that will go, oh, no, no, I can't have salt, can't have salt. And there is absolutely no reason whatsoever. But they think salt, they've heard you know, far too many things about salt, blood pressure, salt, bad view, et cetera. They will say, no, I don't have to have salt. And it's like, look, you're an active person. You're sweating at a high rate. You're not the average person that doesn't do any exercise and is still having excess salt in their diet. You need more salt. And your body's even telling you, Cracky, I could kill for something salty right now. And they override that. Hmm. That's the worst, I think, is when people know that they've got um, as I call it a real hankering for salt. Yeah, they yeah, really yeah. want it and they deny themselves. It's like, no, listen to your body. It'll often give you a good idea as to what you want. What you want. <laughs> you know, like you say, it's a salt and vinegar, um, yeah. Sort of vinegar things or something that's got like a salted caramel taste. It's got a real twang to it. Yeah. And you think, Oh that that's really good. Often you'll be drinking quite a lot of liquid as well because the salt is there to encourage fluid uptake and you just know that you need to drink plenty of liquid and have the salt. Because if you just Had that scenario and all you did was drink plain water, it's not gonna work. Just not gonna work.
1: No. So there's no there's no correlation between more salt being good. Like you said, everybody's individual. Everybody's an individual. You can't
0: tell. But it's not like, oh, take salt out because less is better. So it's not it's not like one end or the other. It's like, you know, look at the individual and try to see, you know, is there is there certainly with people that do not even longer events, they're regularly sweating. They don't wanna be all the time saying, oh, I've taken every bit of salt out, I have nothing with salt on. It's like, well, your body's losing salt and you're trying to take none in whatsoever. That doesn't make sense. And when you exercise, you lose a lot more salt than the average person that just walks around. And yes, they have a small amount of fluid loss because people sweat even if they're not exercising, but it's the fact that you're doing it at so much greater rate. Your fluid loss you know, could be a, a litre an hour. Well, people don't lose a litre an hour just sat down. So even if the salt that is in your um, sweat is slightly more dilute, it's still a lot of salt that you're losing. So question number two, and this was from Oliver Rogers. And it was, again, I think this might have been, yeah, this would have been uh, a Twitter. Uh, Out on that Twitter A Twitter Twitter tweet (laughs) And he says I can't get my head around the instructions On the science and sport beta fuel I'm racing 70.3 distance So half Ironman If if people aren't into uh, The kind of triathlon uh, phrases So half Ironman Which would be A 1.9 kilometre swim A 56 mile or 90 kilometre bike And then a half marathon or 21 kilometers. So he says, uh, I'm racing you know, this, the middle distance and using beta fuel on the bike. Uh, approximately two and a half hour bike leg. Do I use one packet for the whole ride or one packet per hour? So I responded to him and said, a, a packet can be mixed in to as little as 500 milliliters of water. Now this is different and I'll just digress from what I said to him because The thing with beta fuel is that it's a very high density energy. So, though it's 80 grams in a packet, that will be able to be absorbed. When you have only half a litre of liquid. So, people with quick maths, that's a 16% solution. Many people have been told, and probably up to a few years ago it was true, that you could use basically solutions in about the five to maybe eight, nine, possibly in some instances 10%. But most of the time you're talking about you know, people saying six, seven percent, that's it. There's still things coming out now that say, oh, drinks need to be six or seven percent, otherwise they won't be absorbed. Beta fuel will cross the stomach at 16% so you can have a lot more uh, density of energy if you like which is useful for people who are doing the, uh, the half distance because it means you can carry a lot of the energy you need without having tons and tons and tons of bottles and gels everywhere. Um, so I said to him I would test before with one sachet of Beta fuel in a 750ml bottle so this is slightly more dilute, two bottles would allow you to feed at 60 grams per hour and you'd have 500 uh, milliliters per hour because you'd have 1.5 liters and that would allow you to take that much in and then you can grab extra hydration should you need to and that would allow you to then based on your fluid intake you could still add another maybe For some people, they might want to drink another 500 mils per hour. Some people might only drink another 200 mils and drink 700 mils per hour. And then I said uh, the trick also, 150 milligram Science in Sport gel, one and a half hours into the bike. The point of that being is that then it kicks in an hour later, so just as he's getting off the run, or getting off to run, I should say, it will kick in. Uh, And he says, uh, I asked him about, can you use it? Yes, um, you you can use it. Of course, thanks for the response. I've been using the product this season. I've definitely found it gives me more energy than other products I've used. And I replied by saying, it's the fueling secret that's getting out there and glad you are feeling. uh, We know what works. You can push it up to 70 to 80 grams per hour. But you need to test it to see that the balance of the fluid and the hydration and how comfortable you are with having that amount of carbohydrate. What we're never saying with anybody's carb regime, whether you're mountain bike racing, whether you're running a half marathon, doing a triathlon is maximize the carbohydrate right up to the limit because you know on some days you would just get stomach issues even if the product should be perfectly good on that day you've perhaps had a you know a breakfast that's delayed stomach emptying you ate something on the way to the race you never normally eat a lot of people do that and then say oh I had a problem with that product and then you work back and go yeah, but you ate something totally random. Somebody just said, oh, do you want an extra croissant? Oh, yeah, go on, i eat it in the car, blah, blah, blah. And you change the whole gut scenario, which means you change whether that product's going to be absorbed or not.
1: Hmm. It's good. It, it, I speak yeah. as I find with that. I, I done quite a few long distance rides and i found that the the beta fuel two water bottles yeah um do you have
0: do you have what size water bottles
1: that they're, they're 600 mils or actually 610 mil yeah uh water bottles and a full packet in each yeah each bottle yeah.
0: so that's still a little bit more dilute than normal yeah. that's probably like 12 to 14 yeah. percent.
1: absolutely perfect
0: it, was absolutely it takes spot. a bit of shaking often you know the same as if people put gels in a bottle and add a bit of liquid often with these things where you've got quite a lot of sugars in a bottle you still may need to shake up a bit
1: i normally i put a little bit of warm water in first but i don't know how whether that would affect how the solution works but it just seems to it seems to
0: break it down break it down a little
1: bit better a little bit quicker and then
0: i pour the rest of the water martin's top tip there we go that one's free third question from paul thomas and uh, i'll ask you If you were, if you were advising on diet, uh, which is the best carb to eat the day before an event and why? Is it potatoes, rice, pasta, pizza, bread, jelly babies, or ice cream? Question mark. I don't know why people put ice cream, but anyway, over to you. What's your, what's your pre-race?
1: So night before, I have a tendency. I I actually prefer either pizza or pasta. The peas, I say, pizza or pasta. With that, um, I'm. I actually now I I think I'd go as far as to say I now prefer rice over pasta.
0: We've had discussions about
1: this. Yeah, I I, I do prefer I prefer rice now, and
0: it's difficult again to fit it in. Sometimes, yeah. yeah, you might not get rice where you are. (laughs)
1: Yeah, you normally get pasta or rice, normally wherever you are. No, no. But but what I mean is that you might go into
0: somewhere and they don't. You know, if if someone says, "Oh, we're all going to go out for pizza," it's unlikely they do rice. Yes, sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, If people are somewhere, and I do have athletes that will take, they'll take two cans of rice pudding to an event because if they got to a perhaps a hotel that doesn't open up that morning, they didn't realise they weren't going to open up at four o'clock in the morning. uh, They um, or they just say, "I just want to," you know stay in bed and eat it. And they'll have they'll have their rice pudding. People are like, rice pudding? It's like, yeah, but they're used to it. It's got a lot of carbs. It's got a small amount of fat, small amount of protein, and they've used it before and they can take it wherever they are. And to them, it's their, you know, it's not like they have to have it, but it always will work should they need to. Yeah. And I think with, you know, almost going back to like, Oliver's uh, previous question is that, If you can keep things fairly controlled, you can often do these things quite well within the variation you get day to day with your body. But if every place you go, you have a different breakfast and every time you do an event, you're going to try a different product, you have to try some things, but eventually you've got to come up with a staple that works for you. Otherwise, you're always changing stuff. So when they talk about, you know, don't ever try anything new in races, sometimes you have to, otherwise you'll never try anything. But you do have to have a framework that you know works, and then you work within it.
1: And I think that's the the kind of back to having a training diary as well, because you can make... You can make these off-the-cuff decisions where you've gone, oh, I've gone to the cupboard or something's not there or the fridge is... The cupboard was bare. Yeah, again. And and you've realised, oh, I'll have to d- it'll have to be rice pudding this time. Normally I have a grapefruit and natural yoghurt or some sprinkling of nuts, et cetera, et cetera. But all of a sudden it all comes together clicks nicely and then you've got the basis you've got a pattern there for maybe trying to organize something a little bit more successful as far as kind of your pre-race workout slash meal yes um and it is the same with warm-ups for a lot of the shorter uh, the guys that do the, the guys and girls that do the shorter events you know their pre war their pre-race warm-up sometimes is just oh yeah well i just kind of run about wiggling... (laughs) Run about (laughs) about, wiggling my arms a bit. And then you kind of get something a bit more structured and you go, all right, yeah, actually, that worked really well for me. I, I, I really, you know, I felt the difference. I felt like I got into the race straight away instead of kind of taking two laps or you know the the swim to kind of get started and then you know I was flying on the bike so it, it's quite handy to go back to that diary scenario where you look back over your most successful kind of performances and go oh actually I forgot about that that's when I yeah. did that and that's when I did this and that seemed to work so um for me again everybody is different I do prefer the pasta. you're definitely different yeah no so I keep getting told uh, pasta and pasta and pizza but I think that pizza thing's kind of slowly sliding towards rice now. Um, not a big fan of potatoes. If I'm I, don't, I don't
0: mind potatoes. I don't mind potatoes, rice. The Peats, sweet, pe- the
1: sweet things, no sweet not, potatoes. Oh, I don't you like sweet potatoes. No, sweet potato, but as far as kind of like jelly babies or ice cream or things no, like that. No, because the
0: thing with jelly babies is they're they're very high glycemic, and by that I mean they're very quick release sugar. There may be a place for uh, white versions of rice pasta uh, bread if people get on with these things because there's less fiber it's not significantly less but people tend to prefer bland things rather than you know night before is not the night to try an amazing place where you're going to have a, a real massive like variety of you know seafood seafood or or re- you know really strong you know curry or yeah. whatever i mean that's going to backfire in the very <laughs> literal sense but you've almost got to like say look back and think what foods sit comfortably uh what you do is often eat much more of a kind of celebration the night after or the afternoon after the event the night before is keep it keep it simple don't do it too late try to Almost have your particularly if it's a significant event, you know, you have your carbo loading done Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's how my athletes work. That's your, you know, your significant eating carb days. The Saturday you're not gonna carb up just on one day. So you actually have a fairly light Saturday because then there's not so much food going into your body, you're not gonna have massive amounts in your gut. Yes, you've got to eat, but you're not thinking, oh, I'll do it all on the Saturday. So I think, yeah, it's it's a very individual thing actually, Paul, what works for you. And I think that you go by just without writing everything down every time you do stuff, crack it, this is your hobby. You don't want to start over analysing stuff. But go for stuff you think that's gonna probably be okay and, and it's going to be, you know, eh, enjoyed, but it's not gonna be something where you think, oh that's that's gonna that's gonna find me out the next day. Because then you're then you're sort of compromising something that if it is an event, do you really want to put it on the line because you couldn't say no to a curry and instead went for something simpler, or you chose stuff that really uh, works for you, even if somebody said, oh, I couldn't eat that. You know, we're we're all very individual. I quite like, like you, rice. I think it just seems seems to work. And if you're anywhere and you have to make a bit of a compromise, just don't stress about it. Don't be, don't be, oh, I can't eat this, I can't eat that. You know, unless you've really got a massive issue with the food, what you don't want the day before, and especially not, the evening before is to get too stressed or leave it too late or find yourself thinking, oh yeah, another thousand other athletes thought they were gonna go out for a meal. I can't find anywhere to eat. I mean, you've got to plan ahead, always have your own uh, options just in case and, and make sure that you don't get too stressed about this. It's not your last supper. It's a night before an event. And the less you stress about it, the more you're actually just gonna enjoy it. If you start getting overly stressed, everything you eat for 48 hours leading up to an event, I'm sorry, but if you're just doing this as a hobby, that's just not anywhere near what type of attitude you should have towards food. You you need to kind of relax. And I know some people, they can eat anything the night before and they still go well, it won't have an effect because they also don't bother for it to have any effect. They don't overly think about it. Where somebody says, oh, it's something and I'm not quite sure. And it was nothing really that major, but they worry about it, which sets up immediately a whole cacophony of an event. Yeah, that's it. Another question. This one's from Ian Hutchinson. I can't remember how he got too squeezed in there, but anyway, here we go. So this was uh, this was via Facebook this time and it was to do with sleep and so forth. He says, after many years of ignoring vitamin Z, which is what I call sleep, uh, I've come to appreciate and understand its importance and started monitoring it. The device I use also records HRV, so that's heart rate variability, which is, uh, I guess, it's a simple way of seeing how stressed your body is. This is a fantastic tool to monitor uh, well-being uh, holiday uh, with the in-laws saw my HRV nosedive (laughs) (laughs) I say no more I previously tracked HRV using a one-off reading and tried to control as many variables as possible time of day um, uh, following the respiratory rates they suggest etc etc however uh, the new device of course, HRV overnight and then gives an average knowing how sensitive a one-off measurement can be I would think think anyway the recording overnight would give an average would be preferable for health monitoring Um, are there any papers to compare and contrast one-off recordings with average values taken overnight now i haven't checked whether there are any specific uh, papers so um, firstly Ian, that bit isn't done however i've looked at hrv with quite a few athletes probably the last four years or so and for those that want to monitor stuff it's yeah it's a it's a good indicator that something may or may not be stressing them. How would we do it? Most would be perhaps a, a watch or a, a finger prick sensor that they put on their finger. Um, not finger prick, a kind of a finger sensor that they put on. And it basically reads the, uh, the, the, the variability of the heart rate through the capillaries in the finger. And it's looking at not your heart rate per minute. It's looking at... The beat by beat variation in timings. So if you, let's take a very simple 60 beats per minute that somebody's got. They will not hit every 1,000 milliseconds. They will vary. It might come in at, you know... 850 then a thousand and ten and then 899 then a thousand and one and w- it will vary Okay, and that variability the more it varies is a good thing if it doesn't vary much that tends to show the body's stressed so there are various Finger sensors tends to be the best that, that do this and Can I then ask what- another question. Yeah
1: in a question um, So the heart rate variability um, Low school bad high school good. Yes, so yeah rough uh, as a rough idea of figures well what, some, how would it read how would it well, look some, some,
0: some people good good we know uh, I can think of some examples good for somebody would be 70 yep and that's like good great we can see recovery we've learned over time what theirs is and we've been able to see that uh, when most things are being taken uh, under say a, a, a good scenario they might get 70 if work Travel, stress, bad training, which they won't do because I tell them not to, you know If they do the wrong training, they would immediately get the HRV, but it doesn't change that much Okay, what we see changes is the big things the stress the sudden, you know Death of the dog or you know, or or, you know have to jump on a plane and travel there and back to uh, somewhere very uh, uh, Either stressful or just very very sudden then it can drop 20 and what we see therefore is that uh, it's picked up something's not quite right and they they don't say oh i can't train but if they say well that's you know that's that's not preempting everything they do but it starts to show that often they can see that their training is one of the least likely things to affect their HIV. But it's the things outside that eventually they can say, yeah, I thought I was, you know, I, I said to you I was absolutely exhausted. HIV has plummeted, it's giving me a red signal to say don't really do any training, and actually I'm gonna agree with it. Other people have said, Actually, do you know what? It's dropped a bit, but I'm fine. And if I don't do this session today, I won't get it done So I'll carry on. So it's only an indicator But we would tend to see that some people I can get them up over 100 when they're um, in a very very well state But again, if they suddenly dropped 20 again, that's gonna be right. Why is that going on? Oh, yes, my, you know 18 month year old was up all night. I had a really bad sleep. Okay, we can pin that down it doesn't really find illness, but it can sometimes just show, right, why is that You know, why is that suddenly dropping? And you're saying you're not feeling too good. Oh, what? And everyone at work's got uh, an illness. Sometimes it can give you a preempt. Next day they're like, oh yeah, I thought it was coming. I'm ill. I wouldn't say that it's something that is the be all and end all, because I've known people be ill, definitely are not training, HRV is still, still okay, and it's saying, green, you should be okay. So it's not picking up that that person isn't stressed because they're ill, but they're not stressed. They're Mm. like, okay, I'm ill. I'm gonna miss a few days. They're not stressed. It often picks up on people that are very sensitive to stuff. And there are people that we can measure whether they've had alcohol or not. So they can have two, three glasses of wine and their HRV, the next day will drop. And it's like, there you go. That shows that your body's been under some stress overnight to clear the alcohol through your system. doesn't stop drinking. And neither should it. For them, it's just like, wow, that's how sensitive it is. Yeah. But it's therefore also sensitive if that night, you know, was an alcohol-free night, but they suddenly got some bad news and uh, next morning they're stressed about it, it would show. So you can't pinpoint, it doesn't say HRV due to sleep, HRV due to the dog. But what you know is that it indicates a level of stress. For some people, I would not say they should use HRV. Because they will get stressed about getting stressed, Just, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, so what absolutely. they will do is
0: overthink it yeah. and then say, "Oh, I can't get it down, can't get it down." I've heard people with a hundred; I can only get one up to eighty. Yeah, but that might be your best. But do you think?
1: Do you think also, uh, we've we've harped on think... about this all the time. You know, you can correlate this we information. We never harp on about no, things. We, you can correlate all this information, all these figures, and then it's it's almost like I know a lot of people that do this. Just hand this big file over to people like yourself, Joe, and go. There, mate, Can you can just pick the bones out of that for us. Because yeah. all they need to know is what does that figure mean in yeah, relation yeah. to that? And I think kind of the same with with Ian. And, and, you know, Ian knows a fair bit about what he wants to do and what he wants to achieve. So, you know, with reference to the HRV, it's just another key factor, yeah, or another yeah, element, yeah, sorry, yeah, rather than a key yeah. factor, another element of getting the whole picture together. Yeah,
0: and most data is done on the first... A bit like how some people might measure um, resting heart rate, it's on the first instance that you get up, you measure it. Some people can get a bit of an iffy figure that doesn't make sense to take another HIV and say, oh, actually, that makes sense. It's, you know, it's, it's working off sensitive electronics that within the variation you get in beats per minute, you could just be hearing something in the background, slightly raise your eyebrows and think, oh, that's nothing. Meanwhile, HIV has picked up a drop mm. because it perceives as a stress. I think where HIV helps is if somebody knows from time to time that particularly um, work or stress in the background is stressful, it can just give them almost like a, yeah, I thought that was doing it. It's not really for somebody that will always find something wrong with themselves. Don't get it, please. Because all you're going to do is worry about why it's jumping up and down. It's a good indicator when people are able to just dissect the information and say, okay, yeah, I, you know, I, I've, I've been, I have been pushing it recently yeah. because heart rate... Can go up and down depending on, you know, did you sleep, you know, with your feet out the end of the bed? Did you have a different, did you had a, a different, you know, duvet because you were in a hotel and it was making you warm and your heart rate went up or, or whatever? You know, there's always a, um, there's always a, a case of how important is that number or am I overthinking it? Yeah. And I think with HRV, it is good, but some people we've got them off of it because. We know the things that are going to happen. And if the kids do keep them up in HRV drops training, well, what can we do about it? Exactly. They're already saying, I'm a bit tired. And um, I'm a bit tired. I therefore, I don't know about today's session, but I've seen some pretty crummy HRVs. The person's been well. They've cracked on with training and saying, thankfully, I did the training because in the end, it wasn't that much of a struggle, but if I'd listened to HIV and not done it at all, yeah. I'd then be going, oh, I can't train. So I think we've got to watch HIV, resting heart rate, even how you feel when you get in the morning. A lot of times you just, you know, don't crack on if you're ill. I had somebody today and, and clearly the indicators of what they're doing, how they're feeling, coughing down the phone says, don't train, okay? It's not gonna get you out of this hole. Don't train, let's review every 48 hours. Other people would immediately go, sore throat, I'm going to miss tomorrow's training session and not even notice that cold because it hasn't taken a hold. Mm. HRV won't help you make those decisions. HRV can just highlight that body's under stress. And I think we're going to learn more about it, but there's a lot of people that can make these decisions anyway. And HRV sometimes is helpful for me to just see, okay, that person you know is, is is not a hypochondriac. We do have a... Um, as much life is throwing more hassles at this person's physiology than training. Training, I rarely see it make that much of a difference. Even after a race, people don't often plummet that much. They've got to do like a really hard Ironman, a a ridiculously long sporty, something very, very hard on their body for me to see HRV drop significantly. They can get stressful day at work or something happen in their family, in their friends or whatever, and you can see it drop significantly and to a far greater extent than you would through training. So I think you know it's it's almost like it measures all the other stuff. The training yeah. we don't get to see it change you know change that much. But a good a good question, Ian. And I think we're learning about H R V. And for some people, don't worry about it. Other people might be interested. Some people might say, Do you know, what that would be the key to me because I'm never quite good at making the decision when to rest or acknowledging that actually, yes, work did affect me, but it can affect you and you can go out and train and feel better because you've got rid of some of that, yeah. you know, some of that kind of, not because you've smashed a session, but because you've just gone, wow, bit of aerobic training and I, uh, I relaxed. Have you,
1: have you answered Ian's question?
0: Yeah, yeah I don't know, is really, I don't know about the overnight versus the morning because most of the research is not looking at overnight data, it's only looking in the morning. And unless overnight starts to be seen as the key thing, I think we might have to just say it's possible to help because one morning reading is a bit like taking one snapshot of anything. It it could be, and I've seen it where somebody said, took the first one, it was rubbish, took the second one, it's fine. And I know the second one is right. The first one was incorrect, Hmm. at which point maybe that's just, you know, not necessarily a user error, but maybe you sometimes have to use common sense with all these things because the moment you start measuring stuff you can get the white coat syndrome that says, oh, I'm measuring myself. Oh, right, oh, oh, I might start getting a bit tense. And then they start affecting HRV. Wake up and just go, yeah, I'll just see what it is. Um, so we'll, we'll see, the uh, the evidence is growing. So this is another one. This is this is weird, I didn't even realize this. Kath, who was spoken about earlier, sent in a uh, question. And uh, I just cut and paste this stuff over a month. So I forget who's done the previous questions. Anyway, she said, I've read a couple of things lately suggesting athletes are putting themselves at risk of type 2 diabetes due to A, the high carb diets of rice, potatoes, pasta, as well as gels, drinks, bars, etc. Um, also, B, due to the fact that we eat all the time, or most of it. This means our pancreas is continually producing insulin to produce all the, or process rather, all the carbs. Therefore, it never gets a rest. We rarely access our fat burning system, and eventually our systems become insulin resistant. Um, before being full blown diabetic um, in your opinion, and I must add i 'm not a doctor in your opinion, is this true, and if so, what can we do about it? Well, firstly, I think especially this time of year, people have got to think twice about whether they need to have carbs don 't you reckon there are some people that you know they go out um, we ride you know on, a, uh, on on Tuesday evening we have a small amount of carbs, but it's we haven 't had our supper it 's you know, six, seven, eight o'clock in the evening. So to go out on water, I'd be in a mess and just eat like an idiot when I got home. Other scenarios, short sessions, we don't need carbs. And I do think people need to try morning fasted sessions. You know, it could be 45 minute run, could be up to, you know, two hours biking. And actually you don't need carbs, just small amount of electrolyte. Some people just go on plain water and therefore teach your body not to always think I've got to whack down energy drinks, gels, saurine malt loaf whatever the person would have so i'm kind of thinking what what cath says is partly true but i think it's only when people think to do with their training and you must have it where people come in and you think they're not necessarily doing lots of training but they almost want an excuse to be whacking down sugary things because if you if you've got a sweet tooth training is a great opportunity to justify that you need to whack stuff down and i think that Athletes are actually doing wonders for their sensitivity to insulin within the muscle. They are actually burning the calories, so when they do have sugar, the body will process it and it won't end up being at body fat most of the time. Plus, if you take sugars in whilst you're exercising, the release of insulin is massively, massively blunted because you basically are in a different mode so I think if athletes are used to too often in between sessions constantly grazing on sweets and sugary drinks and stuff and not you know we don't need necessarily even three meals a day sometimes people can eat less often sometimes they can realize that um, I quite like this idea of the you know the sort of uh, not the bulletproof coffee because there's lots of different versions but you know coffee some cream raw egg, just basically, what? yeah. Get your, bo- get, your bo- get your body having a bit of protein, a bit of fat, some caffeine, and just let it, let it use that. Other days, no, get up, have a normal carbohydrate breakfast. But not all carbs quality protein quality fats so i think she's she's on to something because too many times people get told about you think about the question earlier about oh how many carbs do yeah. i have and you imagine somebody thinking all they've got to do and they build up to you know their marathon their triathlon all oh, got to do is just constantly be eating sweets and and whacking down pasta and and eat loads of stuff and they're not looking at foods where you need some carbs but not super high doses you still need Uh, fiber. You still need quality proteins. You still need good fats. Because if you just eat carbs, one of the things that some people do get hooked on is they drop fat because they think fat's bad for them. They increase carbs up and up and up. And what they do is they eat carbs, the insulin wax in, disappears, takes the blood sugar back down again. Two hours later, they need more carbs. So they're bouncing between basically high glycemic things, have something with fat and protein, like this, this sort of, this coffee mixture, you can drink it. And like two hours later, they're like I better eat something, but I don't feel like it. And it's not to suppress it, but you've had, well, first you've had cream. So there's quite a lot of calories in there. Uh, there's protein from the egg, which again gives you some release of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of protein. And, um, it's, it's, going to give you actually more of a stable blood sugar than if you whack down your super sugary frosties with even more sugar on top. Oh, smell of frosties. No, 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 just saying, you know, it would be high glycemic. Okay. So there is a point where if somebody doesn't exercise, this insulin up and down creates the irony that people are, you know, they're eating lowish calories. They're not excessively eating. It's very high carb because everything is low fat or no fat. Meanwhile, they 're putting on weight constantly because they're not emptying glycogen stores. Mm. they're at pretty much daily metabolic rate of you know 2,000 for a woman or two and a bit thousand for a man or less because they don't do much. Meanwhile, their body's constantly getting this glycogen intake that they don't need, so they put on fat because if you have the other thing about this very high glycemic sugary diet is that when you have this Insulin come in and the blood sugar disappears that blood sugar has got to disappear to somewhere There's only a small amount that needs to go into the uh, liver There's not muscle Glycogen needed because they're not doing much exercise So that fat sorry that carbohydrate will get stored as fat because it's just excess. If you don't need carbs, you don't need to be on a super high carb diet. And most athletes don't need to constantly be on carbs. When they have high quality protein, high quality fats, they feel more like meals keep them fuller for longer. But also if you're training correctly, you get so efficient at carb use, you don't need to be having excess amounts. Okay, on certain, you know, races and certain scenarios you need to up like we've said about the beta fuel earlier you need to up it but you don't need to go out on a steady one hour ride and whack down 80 grams of beta fuel because that's not why sas made it they didn't make it for somebody that needs to try and cover an amount of carb intake that doesn't really make sense so i think the diabetic thing would be sensitivity for people that are not exercising most athletes do have to think about you can't just eat carbohydrates that are going out of fashion and have, you know, oh yeah, but I've got a sweet tooth. Now that's not an excuse to keep eating sweet stuff. And, you know, I can be guilty of that. And i that's why I make the fasted sessions work for me. That's why I do make sure I have the, you know, the slow release carbs and fats. Cause otherwise sweet things do give you a nice feeling. And if you don't get on top of that, then you can have too many, uh, too many uh, like uh, excess carbs. If you've got a sweet tooth after training, is the best opportunity. Sorry, that's fireworks going off in the background. Yeah. I just realized that. I wonder what I was doing. So, uh, yeah, we're on, uh, it's the fifth, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's November the fifth. So, uh, that's what's happening in the background. But if you do have a sweet tooth straight after training is the best time for you to have that sweet tooth fix because your muscles will be wanting glycogen as long as it's not been a fasted session, which kind of, defeats the object if you have high glycemic afterwards. You, you don't want that straight after fasted sessions. But if it's been a normal training session, there's been some significant glycogen loss, actually sweet tooth time is straight afterwards. Because mm. you can argue, well, at least that high glycemic effect is gonna go straight into muscles, which then want to recover faster, yeah? Did that make sense to you? Perfect, perfect, yeah. perfect sense to me. Because you do fasted rides, don't you? I do. Yeah i do you're, you're quite good at doing fasted rides and having virtually zero i mean not even anything to drink you're like well I, I,
1: yeah normally in the mornings and that's not down to not wanting to drink it's just pure laziness i think
0: most of the oh, time oh is that what it is Well, yeah. okay i'll have to start reaching the bottle for you and just like you know
1: just squirt it in squirt it in so yeah it's uh, i mean i yes we we can get more and more efficient on running without carbs but yes. like you said, you know. It, you've just got to be there is a fine line between I mean we all of us I think most most of us have got a sweet tooth as well so you know I I very very rarely will use gels training and I will very very rarely use energy drink whilst training you know I will use it to try it out to see what I can tolerate and then you know maybe not necessarily go back to it for a while until yeah maybe a bit closer to the event but yeah yeah you don't need that much yeah. stuff all the time so. yeah. and you can
0: practice you can you know part of gut training is to try these things out as you said earlier when we were um when we were doing the the question and uh, we were talking about um sort of you know beta fuel and and the the things uh, that uh, um, Paul, that oliver oliver, oliver brought up it. yeah you know you don't want to suddenly use something on race day you've never used Sometimes long rides, perhaps in the middle of your winter base, or you suddenly decide to do something as part of it. Oh, I just want to, you know, I I just, I just want to complete, you know, a longer session than normal. Okay, you might have to then have that emergency extra carbohydrates with you because the worst thing is when people blow up or slow down dramatically and the secret is saying yes you were already using significant carbs, you were perhaps going into zone 2 a lot, that was upping your carbohydrate losses very significantly, bingo you can run out of uh, you know glycogen and I think, I'm not going to say it's a total opposite but there are lots of people arguing that we do need to make athletes more fat efficient and that we don't need to be always stressing high carbs because it's pointless if you don't need it and if you don't realize that actually fat use is is a very efficient way of moving particularly at the right intensity fat use is great you always need to trickle in some carbs but some people never do fasted sessions they you know they they always Eat just before training and they never teach their body to actually tap into the resources. So you've got you got to do a bit of everything. You know, try stuff when you're using just electrolytes. Try days when you have a bit more carbon. Does that make the quality session go better? Can you time your eating and mix your Food stuff mixtures better so that when you get to a training session you aren 't hungry, but you 're also not super high in sugars that you just ate ten minutes before, and then then notice that you have a bit of a of a collapse in the session because your body 's wanting more sugars and you 've now stopped taking sugars. so I think try things out, definitely see that um, that you don 't have a you know potential you know, diabetic um, like like gene. Uh, Gene issue that it's in your family already, and you've got it. I used to know a guy who was very, very fit, but he was diabetic because it was a, uh, a familial kind of line that uh, that he was following, his, uh, other members of his family had it. And he, he had to literally take on board lots of fuel during sessions or else he'd get really, really big drops in blood sugar. And I know, you know proper diabetics that have to time their insulin, the carb intake, there's a lot more knowledge about that, but that, that's different to people that just like their sweet foods. And have an issue with either putting on excess fat or actually having a bounce around blood sugar that never gets stable because they're always having too many sugary treats. Question six, and I reckon we won't have many more after that because we're getting near the uh, the end of the podcast. So this was from Andy Rob, and this was a is that tweet. font big enough? It's just it's a it's a thing that I cut out and pasted. It's just ended up being whole side of a four for just literally (laughs) about 10 lines of writing so he says i'm an 80 kilogram time trial rider what are your thoughts on strength work for improving time trial performance on short 20 to 25 kilometer hilly tt courses with 300 sorry 200 to 300 meters of climbing uh, that are predominant um, for the local and state races that i compete in any recommended strength drills on and off the bike Okay, And because he talks about um, local and state races, I'm thinking he's from America. Yeah, because most people don't talk about that. And plus, we don't tend to have 20 to 25 kilometre hilly races. Do you know what I mean? It's normally got to be a set distance. It's either a hill climb or it's what we'd call a sporting 10 or a sporting 25. So there wouldn't tend to be many in that sort of range. So um, 80 kilogram rider. We don't know Andy's uh you know body type you know is he 80 kilograms and it's all muscle and he's a very very uh lean but very uh large muscle uh, large i can't say it large muscled individual is he a little bit more stocky and uh therefore needs to um perhaps even work on strength that may not always be that there's a lot of muscle there. Some people are 80 kilograms and they still need to work on the strength. Some people are 80 kilograms and they're as strong as an ox. So, you know, hilly courses, trying to get stronger. I, I go back to the default. I, I like giving people, and they seem to like doing these sessions where you do the low cadence grinding, particularly if you like to do sort of strength work on the bike, you you can go to the gym, you would do it, doesn't perhaps happen as often as you'd like, but you do like riding your bike. So if you choose the right, perhaps course that either has got rolling terrain or has got a real like perfect hill, 15, 20, 25 minutes away, you get warmed up to, you ride up the hill and you're aiming for about 60 revs. And it's, proper sort of grunt work. You're trying to work fairly hard in a bigger gear that you'd normally go up the hill and you're trying to create a damage. You're not trying to do it and your legs feel okay, you're trying to create damage. That can help. I think particularly with the um, you know, the strength drills off the bike for lots of riders, particularly if it's just a TT rider, then actually doing some upper body and whole body strength work can really help because you're only really getting strong legs and to bring your arms, to bring your central core muscles, your lower back, to bring everything in and just get stronger. 80 kilograms sounds like there's, you know, potentially quite a lot of muscle there. Uh, It doesn't sound like you're an ectomorph. Therefore, you could actually get, you know, quite strong. Whether all of it directly helps your time trialing, perhaps sometimes it doesn't, but it may be protective. It may be good for just... Burning calories and keeping you, uh, yeah, keeping your, you know, bone density, keeping your metabolic rate when you're not training, and also there's a psychological component that people feel better about more muscles feel like they've had that day after weights feel, you know, that kind of like, oh, they're, they're not stinging, they're not hurting, they just feel like you've worked them the day before, which, which is can, good for you, I think that's good for your head. And you can that's barely what... do your shoes up. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but you do your shoes up, yeah. Yeah, you're actually- You
1: drop your khaki and you're like, no, <laughs> no, can't get no, down. no, no, no. I'm I'm how do
0: I get to the floor? Yeah. Uh, you have to fall over deliberately to pick them up. <laughs> someone to pull you up, yeah. But, I, and I think, you no, know, it kind of touches on an interesting thing about, you know, strength training, on and off the bike, but it is working towards a, a TT performance. And a lot of TT performances on hilly type courses are also working out how do you best pace yourself? Are you, you you, know, are you, uh, is it one big climb and the rest is flat? Is it a, a series of, of, of punchy climbs that you can hit at a certain rate? We don't know whether he's got power Don't know, you know, is it, is it, you know, mostly road bike, you know, even though his TT ride is mostly on a road bike with clip-ons, does he do it old school and just ride on a conventional road bike? Is it a TT bike? I think the, the one part of the training is to get stronger through potentially gym work and on the bike over geared work, but also learning how to climb. And learning, okay, how hard can you go up a certain incline and do you completely pop at the top and literally fall over the other side? Or can you just get used to going into the red and you work out the, the real distinct difference about going into the red and Surviving or going into the red and going pop pop. Yeah uh, That's that's an art in itself, which may not uh, Directly relate to strength work, but I think the more you go into that area Not too often, you know, if he's if he's in the US, he's probably potentially therefore not going to compete at this point in time and it's going to be more about perhaps next what? March, April, May onwards, something like that. Now actually in the winter, you don't want to go off and batter yourself too many times. This is about building aerobic base, doing some gym work, doing you know an occasional overgeared work, but not trying to work too hard now on the anaerobic system. And getting, getting strong is, is like getting aerobically fit. You've got to lay a very slow base of going to the gym at first and not pushing the too much strength. Actually doing, the, doing the, you know, the girl guide level where you're a bit embarrassed, but hey, you're getting the tendons, the ligaments, the muscles used to it. Next week, you can add a tiny bit more and gradually work towards possibly 8 to 10 rep max work where you're working hard and rep number 9 or 10 just about happens and that's it. That can't be first time, or whilst you really can't pick your keys up the next day, mm. you probably just about roll out of bed. So we need to be very careful that with strength training, even with over-geared work, you've got to start easy and go, do you know what, next time I can go up that hill one gear harder, or I can do those reps next time I'm going to go a little bit harder. It's not always going to progress from now right the way through. I think you need to lay a base and seal the real progression in anyone's training in Northern Hemisphere right now is sort of, you know, January, more likely February onwards. So we've got a good two plus months at least of just laying some consistency, just being consistent, not thinking, oh, I've just got to get stronger and stronger. We don't want this to be too hard a period. And for most people, I see the real progression is from March onwards. <laughs> then we can say there's already been this you know, this semi-base work now, but it's not too aggressive.
1: And also I think people are under the impression that, um, you know, if you are a bike rider, doing lots of weights means that you'll increase your power by, you know, 100, 150 watts. It, it doesn't really work like that pretty much. So, you know, it's better, like Joe said, it's probably better to be more rounded um, as, an, as an athlete, especially people on the bike as well, you know, um, girls and guys on the on the bike you know a lot of the stuff from unless you're mountain biking you know, most of the tt and 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 road riding tends to come from pretty much the the waist down yeah, so you yeah. you tend to neglect you know everything else like your sometimes your lower back even right on up to the the shoulders and and your lats and everything like that so it's quite nice to do something different even if it's only body weight bearing yeah. um that you do some just kind of I call them uncontested squats, so you're just using your body weight. That's a big word that's a big word for you to use. Yeah, I know, because I don't I don't like to compete with the squats anymore. No. But just using your body weight all round, you know, just to do it. Single leg squats, pistol squats, you know, things like that. So Is that how you get those calves? That's how I, no, you just wear tighter jeans. <laughs> they might not be mine actually. Are they stretchy jeans? Yeah, boy. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, so that's the uh, uh, that 's the other kind of misinformation is I think people think that they have to be doing big weights to be able to produce yeah. this phenomenal power how long,
0: how long have you 've been missing leg day for then <laughs>
1: got pretty much forty one years <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah. so yeah. yes you 've just been doing bicep day haven 't you the
1: whole time you 've just got to work this upper body <laughs> yeah work this upper body I'm like a Tyrannosaurus rex
0: so now we bring a new feature in oh have we got we 've got a new one has it's it got, a jingle, got has it got a jingle Well not unless Henry puts one in right, right. now no we haven 't. It's just called one more, and this is one more question where we get where it's not worth spending a lot of time on. Oh, you can't say that. <laughs> no, but what I mean is, it's one of those little end of you know, like the news pieces where they have the little bit about the dog at the end that's you know managed to you know surf surf or or you know or or do something incredible or or a cat that can type a keyboard. Knit, <laughs> a knitting cat. Anyway.
1: This, so does this involve us going, yes, or
0: no, or 10 almost, kilograms? Almost, right. so this is via Twitter, uh, this was from Richard, Richard Dawson, and he just said, and it was, uh, it was just, I put out, right, what, what question would you like? And he just said, question, if you could only have one bike, <laughs> right, now I'm not in, answering in, that. In brackets, he says awful, right. Okay, awful thought I know, would you have a road TT gravel mountain bike adventure or cyclocross bike all the best richard
1: well let's let's narrow
0: that down so well, let's well, say firstly, firstly adventure and gravel is pretty damn near the same thing and cross isn't it really and cross is very close okay. yeah so let's just
1: say mountain bike road bike tt bike
0: or uh, gravel or off
1: or gravel road. Growed yeah.
0: Growed yeah, yeah. And anyone that's conf- that's confused about gravel adventure, etc. Yes, don't worry. It's a subcategory of a subcategory. Uh, what would I have if I? And I can only have one. There's only one choice for me. <laughs> one choice. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. But... And I'd probably say the same because tandem. I... <laughs> <laughs> can you ride tandem? Yeah. No. Um, do you know? And I go. I go back to when I had a a GT Avalanche, Zaskar. Yeah. And it was converted from a mountain bike to way before gravel. It had thick tires. It had a road, it had a road- they made of stone? It had a road (laughs) front chain set on, so it didn't have a mountain bike one. It had drop bars, Scott drop-in bars, no less. Awesome bars they were. Um, with di 2 so it was, a, it was, it was like a, a gravel adventure kind of road bike used it on training camps, used it for training and it was so good because didn 't matter where you went, you could ride there towpath you know go on the roads it wasn 't off road because it didn 't have knobbly tires but i would I would probably say therefore i go i go adventure kind of
1: gravel bike. I think if the question was, what should be the one bike that everybody should own, I would say a gravel bike. Yeah. But for me, it would be a mountain bike.
0: Right. Unbridled fun. (laughs) And if it was, and if it was just, you know, if you could have two parts of that question, what would you want to always train on and what would you always race on? It would be a gravel bike for training and it would definitely be a TT bike for, which which should, which actually TT is try, you know, TT is try, same thing. It'd be TT or try and then. Which is roughly what i 've got now is that that you know solace gravel bike with discs and then a Tt bike because I think the thing is is that the more bikes you get, the more you realize there 's a crossover between so many of them but the advantage of bikes that do a lot of different things is that you aren 't just into one category, and yes, somebody with a road bike could say, "I'll have a road bike and I'll stick clip-ons on." Somebody could say, "I have a mountain bike," I and mean, when I'm not using in it as a mountain bike, I could stick slightly less knobbly tires on. Yeah. You could always make all these bikes. You know, when's a tri bike, not a tri bike, and is a TT bike or is a road bike? I mean, there's, there's so many crossovers when you look at it because you say adventure and gravel, and it's like, well, unless somebody's been selling it in a specific category, they're the same thing. Well, yeah, apart yeah. from adventure, you might stick on a few more bags and bangles and yeah. stuff. You know? I,
1: I think, yeah, I think every, I think if it was one bike to do all then you'd have gravel this is never turning out to be
0: a short question i'm going to get you one month and it's about I'm, going to you, I'm going to get you one month just to say yes or, or no. no and there's no but you know there's no but 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 no i i mountain bike for me okay there you go rich mountain bike for him thank and, you Richard. And, I'd, and i'd say i'd say gravel
1: Obviously, uh, working in a bike shop, Richard, you need all of those bikes for any form of enjoyment whatsoever.
0: Yes, as well as you didn't put down an e-bike, which is if it is a e, an e-gravel bike. Has somebody yeah. got e-gravel? Yeah, already in. Oh yeah, e-gravel bike. Yeah, e-gravel bike. There we go. And anybody who doesn't know what those are, just Google all the different things and you'll realise there's a flavour of bike for every possible scenario. And that's why we love it. That's why we love it. Absolutely. So, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here, Martin. Once again, already, I have to already, be. Already <laughs> I got... have to be, or else sure you're going to be locked in here, mate. Yes, there we go. Uh, we really do appreciate the questions. It's been a really good batch of questions. We're looking forward to getting uh, more questions. There's already some in for next month's podcast. Put your review, your rating at iTunes And the uh, other places that I said about earlier Like, like Podbean, etc If you're on Made there up. Always throw a review in there as well Made up podcast No it's not Website uh, Watch the Twitter, Instagram, Facebook
1: The What is the?
0: The Twitter, Twitter. If the, you, you tweeting me out Watch the Twitter, <laughs> Instagram, Facebook pages Of both South Fork Racing And at Coach Beard. The socials The socials And just a massive thank you for downloading, listening, passing on the podcast to others. It's nice to just get tweets from people uh, and texts about, yeah, just listen to the podcast. I like this, I like that. This is why we do it. Help you to train a bit smarter, race a bit smarter. A very, very big, genuine thank you Crocker once again for your input. Um, It's always useful it's become more useful over time. I well, we can tell you that. Yeah, way. Exactly. It used to yeah. be just jokes.
1: I think. The, I think the people listening are going. It's got more useful that chronic. Because yeah, yeah. when my doctor advised me, I need more sleep. Beautiful voice to listen to. That.
0: Yeah. Um, and you've been reading, and that's why I know you've you've you've, you've told I,
1: what I do. I send Joe basically um, not white papers as such that that, that Joe kind of uh, finds on his search through the internet on... uh, What were you signed up for? Where do you get most of your white papers from? No, I'm not telling you. Oh, you're that not that. allowed to. Yeah, sorry. No, but when that. when I discover these these things that that come out into the Twitter sphere or something like that, I always email them to Joe. Going, what do you think about this? Question mark. Yeah, I,
0: think, I think we ought to just clarify there. When you when you discover them, no, you just read the title. There's a couple of long names, and you just throw it at me. Yep. You don't read it because no, every I time not. I ask you and say, Have you read that? He went, No, no. And what I, what I, th- I think that is then
1: is a precursor of me to go. Joe loves all this. I'll send it to him, and he'll read it. And go well. Yeah, I think I think there's a case for this. And and as it's found out, and I'll go yeah. Mm, so is it worth it? And you would just go no or yeah. And I'll go all oh, right. Just bin it off then. <laughs> it's a no. Yeah. But yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. It's good.
0: Yes, and we love to be able to uh, yeah hear from people. We we know there's people that are listening uh, down uh, down under and people in the people in the states, people across across Europe. So. Please send us your your questions and your feedback. And uh, there's, uh, there's there's always uh, there's always some some funny questions that I think we uh, we need to make sure that are definitely in each month. Yes. Because sometimes I think oh I'm not sure that people are going to like that. There are some people listen to it and they want the serious bits. And there's always uh, there's always follow up emails if somebody really needs to uh, get very very uh, super scientific and nerdy about it. Um, I can do nerdy quite quite well. Uh, I can't We we haven't had um, enough on tyres I mean somebody did send me a very deliberate Very deliberate A very leading question question. About we need more stuff on tyres And I was just giggling giggling to myself But uh, Hey ho, thank you very much people Remember, train smart
1: And have fun